Hello and welcome to this week's After Show. I just covered a case that was solved through genetic genealogy, having been inspired by the Golden State Killer case. And most of us know Paul Holes as the cold case investigator who was on that team that identified Joseph D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer. The media around that solve launched a second career for Paul where he consults with law enforcement, he hosts television series like DNA of a Murder, and he co-hosts the podcast Murder Squad. But Paul's career started way before that and involved a lot more cases than the one he's most known for. And Paul wrote a memoir about it called Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases, which is available now, and it tells his whole story. I was able to interview him for this after show ahead of the book's release, but I did have an advanced copy. The first line of the book involves Paul ordering a drink, so my mind immediately went to, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going to lean into that hard-nosed detective trope. But as you will hear in the interview in a minute, the book soon takes you away from that and shows you the real toll of investigating crime scenes and seeing the worst of humanity, the impact that has on a person with their mental health and their relationships with those around them. I found the book surprisingly vulnerable. Most memoirs are vulnerable, but I didn't expect quite as much as he gave in this book, and you will hear me ask him about it. From a technical standpoint, the book has very good pacing. It stops and builds a scene on the cases, which is what true crime readers are going to appreciate. And it also does that on important moments in Paul's life, which memoir readers will appreciate. It doesn't linger anywhere it doesn't have to, so I never felt like I was getting bogged down in the book at any point. Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases by Paul Holes is available pretty much everywhere, but I'm going to leave a link to bookshop.org in the show notes. On the site, you can click the Choose a Bookstore button before shopping. That allows you to select an independent bookstore in your area that will get a portion of the sale. So you get the ease of online shopping while still supporting local independent bookstores, which is very important. So without further ado, here's my interview with Paul Holes. In this book, you tell a lot of stories in a little bit of a snippet format, and you could have turned any number of them into a full-length true crime bestseller. So why did you choose to write a memoir rather than just straight true crime? The the book concept evolved because when I retired and D'Angelo was caught as being the Golden State Killer, I thought, well, everybody wants to know, you know, the, the nitty gritty about the Golden State Killer investigation. And there's fascinating aspects of the Golden State Killer and, and, and doing a deep dive. And as I got writing, and, and I brought my collaborator on board, uh, Robin Gabby Fisher, an amazing writer, and she's trying to get to know me, and she's asking you know, me about my career, and I start you know, telling her about things that I've done. And I told her, it's important you know, for me that people understand I've done so much more than Golden State Killer. 
Uh, I just have been in a very unusual position in an unusual area during an unusual time that I experienced a lot of different types of cases and fascinating cases. And so we ended up kind of expanding from this being focused on Golden State Killer to other significant cases in my career. But as I'm talking to Robin, and now a publisher is on board, part of what they were sensing from me was the trauma that I've experienced in working these cases. And uh, they were saying, we need to know more about the inner workings of Paul Holes. And I was very hesitant about that, to be frank. Uh, I'm a very private person. But as I started thinking about it and, and knowing what I've gone through, then that became really an important aspect to this memoir is to really relay, you know, the sacrifices that I've made to try to help others on these cases, but also to give an illustration of the sacrifices that other people doing this type of work have made. And that now is really where this memoir kind of cemented in, where it's talking about my career and the fascinating cases, and of course, including the Golden State Killer, but also just me, you know, as a profession, and to give others an understanding as to what, you know, it takes to do these cases. There's so many people that are trying to, you know, these online sleuths that are trying to work cases from behind a keyboard, but that's so different than being in the bedroom of a little girl that has been shot in the head by her father. And it's now trying to relay those detectives, those crime scene investigators, those death investigators, the dispatchers that are receiving the calls. You know, they are dealing with what I am calling real crime. And we're the book, the media that I'm involved with, it's the true crime genre. You know, but there are a there is a segment of the population that has that firsthand experience of interacting with real crime, and it leaves its impact on each of those individuals, whether they recognize it or not. Was it so hard to be so vulnerable? You talk about anxiety, panic attacks. You even talk about something that I know for me is something that's sensitive for me to talk about, and it's a retrospective on my parenting. I have little kids, but I also have older kids. And that's hard to explore where we where we didn't maybe do as much as we thought we should have done or we made different choices. How did you get past that? And that really was the, the most challenging aspect of, of writing this memoir is what I call my failings, you know, as, as a person, as a father, as a husband, um, just as a person. And some of that is just due to who I am naturally, and, and uh, some of it is due to the career, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the time challenges, as well as, you know, the types of cases uh, that, um, you know, I was working. And to open up about that, that's, that's where I had to do a lot of soul searching, uh, because it, like the anxiety, nobody throughout the course of my career knew that I suffered panic attacks. In fact, you know, one time I was, I was driving and I was in the middle of, the panic, of a panic attack. And I, I literally thought I was dying and having a heart attack. And I drove myself straight to the emergency room. And now I'm calling my commander, who is my direct boss, saying, I'm in the hospital. You know, I'm having my heart checked. 
but I'm not telling him I just had a panic attack, you know, um, you know, so now to put that out publicly, you know, it's, it, it, it is a challenge, but I think again, it comes down to, well, what is the purpose of writing this memoir? And, and it really is to tell people, you know, when you have these types of issues, it's okay to say you have these issues. It's okay to reach out and get help. And in part, the other professionals that are in law enforcement in whatever capacity, uh, law enforcement is, can be very unforgiving. You know, if you show weakness, you know, you, you, minimally, you're going to get razzed by the other individuals. Uh, worse, you may be shut off from promotions. You, you know, you may not be get, getting certain specialty assignments. And so everybody has a tendency to bury, you know, this, oh, I can't handle what I just saw. We need to change that. That is really has become a a very important message that that I want the readers to to get. Uh, And that gave me more courage to put that out there. And, And I'm getting older. I'm in my 50s now. You know, I'm not thumping my chest, male-driven type of uh, personality. I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm maybe a little bit more emotional and a little bit more gentle and empathetic than I used to be when I was in my 30s. And I think that contributes to me being more open about my insecurities and my um, issues, psychological issues uh, and uh, relationship issues and everything that I've experienced over the course of my adult life. So one of the things that I thought was interesting in the book is that you go through how your career evolved. And one of the things that I I noticed was how detailed you are in how you look at a crime scene and think through it just step by step. But then you shift into this being drawn to cold cases somewhere where the crime scene is long gone and you're having to visit it through someone else's eyes, what someone else wrote down, what someone else decided to photograph. What drew you to cold cases when it seems crime scene analysis is one of your passions and strong points? I definitely feel that, you know, analyzing the crime scene uh, and the behaviors that uh, created that crime scene, you know, to get insight into uh, who the offender might be is a strong point of mine. And when it came to the cold cases, the primary driver, you know, there, there, there really is two fundamental things that uh, drew me to cold cases. Number one was the challenge. You know, here is a case that has been unsolved for decades, oftentimes, and uh, maybe multiple people have looked at it and they have not been able to crack it. And my ego is like, oh, I can, I can solve this case. Let me see what I can do. It's, it's stepping up you know, to meet that challenge. And then the, the second thing, uh, and this is more on just a, a very personal level, is I'm typically drawn to cases usually involving some sort of predatory type behavior, you know, whether it really is a serial predator or somebody who has just horrifically taken the life of uh, a very empathetic victim. Uh, Most of the time, it's women and children, but not necessarily. I have done uh, male cold cases and and I have attached to them. And thinking through, you know, that analysis of the crime scene and what the victim is suffering in the last moments of, of, of their life, 
which is just horrific to think about, and then getting into the offender's mind to think what he is getting out of that crime, taking somebody's life, and now he's still very likely out there living a normal life. And that's like D'Angelo in Golden State Killer. When we finally caught up with D'Angelo, he had just literally retired from a second career as a truck mechanic. He had a hobby. Um, he was going fishing with his friends. You know, he was taking his grandkids around trick-or-treating. And you go, he's been living a life for the last few decades that he doesn't deserve. And the audacity of that, uh, you know, really drives me. And, and then, of course, interacting with uh, victims of his, you know, rape victims of his or the victims' loved ones of his homicide victims and seeing that to this day, even 40 years later, the trauma that they suffered, it's like, no, you know, they need an answer as to what happened. And this person needs to be taken off the street because he does not deserve that life. Uh, he needs to be brought to justice. And, you know, that's really, you know, those, those factors are what, what really drove me to focusing on cold cases. Of course, I was working active cases that are absolutely horrific that I talk about in the book, some of them anyways. Um, but the cold cases were something that I just developed, I, I think, a, a special expertise in. Is there anything in the book that you think will surprise readers when they come across it? I have a few things in mind. I don't want to give too much away, but I'm wondering what you think would surprise them. It's hard for me, you know, from, from specific details as to what somebody might find surprising. I think everybody knows me, you know, based on the heels of the success of helping catch D'Angelo as a Golden State Killer. And then they've seen that I've had this media career launch off, you know, and the successes uh, that, that, that have occurred because of that. But do they know who I really am? You know, that's, that's I think, what this book is. And the title of the book, which I initially chose because it was unmasking who the Golden State Killer was, but then as that concept of the book evolved to what it is today, it's got a dual meaning. It's not just unmasking Golden State Killer. It's unmasking Paul Holes. And I think that's what the surprise is going to be is they, they see, you know, the photos of me or me on, on TV shows or listening to me on podcasts. But the reality is, is that I've got my struggles. I'm just a, you know, I'm just another, just a normal guy that has the various challenges everybody else has. And I'm opening up about what, what those challenges are. I want to explore that for a second, this idea that, you know, most law enforcement, you're going to spend your career maybe getting a mention or two in the paper. If you become a household name, it's because you did something very, very bad. Now, that's not your career at all. You have moved from being law enforcement into the media celebrity. How do you deal with that change? That was an extremely unexpected change. And to give a little bit of a story, years ago, when I was with the Sheriff's Crime Lab, a lab aide was asking me about this case, this East Area Rapist case I was working. So I was giving him the, the details, which uh, for those that don't know, the East Area Rapist is the Golden State Killer case. It's just one of the phases. And I was telling this lab aide, this is the case I'm involved with. And he recognized it was a big case. He goes, well, if you solve that, you're going to become famous. And I was like, okay, 
Who solved the Green River Killer? Who solved BTK? Nobody recognizes, you know, the investigators who put all that hard work in in order to solve the case. So, you know, when D'Angelo is caught and I'm at the press conference, there wasn't any thought that there was going to be any notoriety attached to me. I was just going to ride off into the sunset, into retirement, and at least have this feather in my cap. So the media attention that snowballed on me unexpectedly, uh, it caught, caught me off guard. And I'm, I'm a natural introvert, you know, so to get out there and uh, be on stage in front of, you know, like a crime con that could be thousands of people or be on TV shows or podcasts, that was quite a bit of anxiety that I was dealing with and, and still do deal with, though I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with it. And I unfortunately, you know, turned even more to my vices, alcohol to give me the liquid courage in order to be able to, to handle this on, onslaught. And that's what I have to deal with today in terms of, okay, this is my new life. Uh, I need to figure out how I'm going to continue on this because I recognize I'm, I've been given opportunities very few people have. And, uh, you know, I want to take advantage of those for personal reasons, as well as to, to use this as a pulpit in order to help others, other law enforcement professionals, other, you know, bring attention to, uh, you know, victims, uh, victims uh, who have lost loved ones, to be able to do, still do good, you know, from this change. But I have to be able to handle it emotionally, psychologically. And it's, it's, it's a challenge with the anxiety and, and just being introverted. I wanted to just get into a little bit on one of the cases you had in the book, because it's the case of Emin Bodfish. And I know you do have an Audible exclusive that covers that case called The Riddle of Emin Bodfish. So I'm just going to give a quick plug for that. Anyone over on Audible can listen to that. I don't know if it'll be released broadly. I know sometimes they release things, but um, definitely worth a listen. But one of the things that struck me about your discussion of the case in the book is that there were circumstantial reasons to suspect the son in that case. And many investigators believed that, but you saw it differently. You interpreted it differently. And is it difficult when you're in an investigation to be against the popular theory, against the popular position of the rest of the team? How do you navigate that? It's difficult, but fortunately, like in that case, I was close to the two primary investigators on that case. Uh, and so we could speak freely. And to this day, you know, they still uh, make jokes about the difference of opinions in that case. And I've been involved in other cases where I have a different opinion than what is being expressed. Fortunately, within the, the, the region where I worked, I had built up a pretty solid reputation. So when I I expressed an opinion on something. People at least took it under consideration. But that also meant that I had to make sure that I was on top of what I was saying. I wasn't just spouting off something, you know, so I had to be very careful about when I did speak up. And so oftentimes, if I was in, let's say, a meeting, there's a lot of conversation going on for several hours. And then I finally will go, okay, I've, I've heard enough. I've gathered enough, I've thought about it, I've chewed it over, I'm pretty confident in what I'm about to say, versus just immediately, you know, talking off the top of my head. 
So it is challenging when there's differences of opinion, but also coming out of the forensic field, that that's where debating uh, findings, debating scientific processes is somewhat of a natural occurrence. And I think that that helps get into that mindset that it's healthy to sit around and talk about different investigative theories, because this helps prevent the investigative team from tunnel visioning on the wrong direction. It helps keep an open mind. And as I talk about in the book, I personally have tunnel visioned, you know, and, and I've learned from that. But having other people and other mindsets, other vantage points is important. I helped solve the Golden State Killer case. I didn't personally solve the Golden State Killer. And that's, it's always that case. It's always a team effort. And that's what's important in any investigation, in any case. So what is next for you? Do you have any other cases you're working on behind the scenes? Any media, books, podcasts, anything you don't have NDAs on, of course? Yes, I am continuing to consult with law enforcement. Uh, there's several cases that uh, I'm, I'm talking with various investigators on that I'm not allowed to, to talk about at this point in time. As far as the media side, I am now uh, going to be in the CNN HLN family and I will be uh, uh, hosting uh, a series on HLN that will be announced shortly and then um, possibly involved in multiple other TV projects and possibly other podcasts moving forward. So I'm going to be staying busy. This hasn't been a very quiet retirement for you, has it? No, no, not at all. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of travel, which, you know, on one hand, the travel, uh, you know, seeing parts of the country, interacting with people, working the cases from other parts and other parts of the country has been great. But also, I so enjoy being home. And the pandemic, as uh, hor horrific as that has been for everybody, for me, that was my first break since uh, I retired and Golden State Killer was caught. I want to again thank Paul Holes for giving me some time out of his very busy schedule to talk about his book, Unmasked, My Life Solving America's Cold Cases. It is available now, and like I said, there is a link in the show notes of where you can buy it that will help support independent bookstores. 